Hello and welcome to Skepticast, the show that makes you cocktail party smart in 15 minutes-ish. Today we're talking about political polling. We'll start with a quick polling 101, then examine the polls in 2016, and once we've reopened that wound, we'll take a look at the current polls in 2020. But first, wait, what? A segment where my producer Mimi reads me some of the best and worst headlines of the week. Amazon is talking with Simon Property Group, the biggest mall owner in the U.S., about taking over some JCPenney and Sears stores to use as online fulfillment centers. I love that Jeff Bezos went from, like, a book-selling nerd to just, like, the apex predator of the school playground. Like, he basically beat up these old-timey retailers, took their lunch money, and now he's just moving into their houses. Oh, God. He just is... We're, it's Jeff Bezos' world, and we're all living in it. Lebanon's government resigns amid widespread anger over blast. The cabinet stepped down as fury over a giant explosion last week in Beirut spurned new protests. So, I mean, what happened in Lebanon is terrible, and I don't want to trivialize that. But, I don't know, hearing that there were a lot of widespread protests and then the government just stepped down, it's like, I I feel like they're more functional than the U.S. at this point. Like, we have 160,000 coronavirus deaths, and I don't think anybody's resigned. I don't I mean good for the people of Lebanon. I don't I, I hope something good comes of it. Kamala Harris is Biden's choice for vice president. You go Kamala. Dude, Mike <laughs> Mike Pence is so fucked. <laughs> uh, mostly because I don't think he's allowed to be in a room alone with a woman, so for the debate I'm not sure how they're going to go about that. Um yeah, good for her. I I mean I some people on the far left really don't like her. There are some actually valid critiques of her record as a prosecutor, but I ultimately think she's a pretty good candidate. Now on to our main topic for the day, political polling. After 2016, people have more faith in astrology than, quote, the polls. I am a Taurus, and according to horoscopes.com, today my star rating for sex is 4 out of 5, but it's only 2 out of 5 for success and vibes. As a sexually frustrated white guy with bad vibes on a podcast, are you Ben Shapiro? Okay, I'm not speaking to you again. Uh, So we all remember where we were November 8th, 2016. If you're a liberal, you probably had your New York Times polls up showing Hillary Clinton would win in a landslide. (laughs) She might even win Texas, you said smugly. Then the night unfolded. You devolved slowly into nothingness as the world went black. You woke in a daze the next morning, imagining all the ways you could murder Nate Silver. And if you're a conservative, I'm kind of surprised you're listening to this, but hey, we appreciate you. Trump's win led to, let's say, some bad things. Somewhere on that list, above the introduction of the word kofif, but below the appointment of Steve Mnuchin, would be how much we all lost faith in political polling. How much does it bother you that Steve Mnuchin looks like your idol, John Oliver? I refuse to acknowledge that. So let's start with a sample question. What makes a good poll? To understand that, let's look at a famous bad poll. You know the one, say it with me, the Literary Digest Presidential Election Poll of 1936. Sorry, was that on BuzzFeed? I think I missed that one. It was one of the largest and most expensive polls ever conducted, polling over 2.4 million people. The 1936 election was between FDR and Kansas Governor Alf Landon. 
Literary Digest decisively concluded that President Landon would be leading us out of the 30s. If you don't remember President Landon, it's not because the American education system failed you. I mean, it probably did, just in other ways. FDR won a landslide victory in the popular vote and the Electoral College. Literary Digest's problem was their sampling. A good poll needs a random sample. That means any member of the population is equally likely to be polled, whether they're reading Literary Digest in their townhouse or they're wearing a little tinfoil hat in their bunker. But it's a sample, right? And it's like dropping a bucket into the well. You're not going to get all of the water out, but you're going to get some of the water out. And you're hoping that that water looks like the rest of the water that's down there. Chances are it will, right? If you're doing your, if you're doing your job well and your sampling scheme is drawing as good of a representative sample as possible, that should be true. That's polling expert and political science professor Craig Burnett. So Literary Digest sampled their own readership. That doesn't reflect the whole country. And look, coastal elites deserve rights too, but there's actually like this whole other part of the country, and they vote and everything. It's wild. On sample sizes, uh, you might think bigger is always better. But as long as it's not too small, it can give you everything you need. Guys, we're talking about a sophisticated statistical procedure here. Could you please grow up? So according to the Roper Center for Public Opinion Research at Cornell, which is a small hospitality school in the Northeast, there's a huge difference in accuracy between polling 100 people and polling 1,000 people, but actually not that big of a difference between polling 1,000 and 2,000 people in terms of accuracy. So when you're looking at a poll, look at the who. Who conducted it and who is being surveyed? And then also how many? So take Fox News. Brace yourself. It's actually a reputable polling organization. It's conducted by professionals and presumably somebody just distracts Tucker Carlson with a pinata of an immigrant shouting, Yes, queen! Foxnews.com, on the other hand, it's a voluntary poll on a conservative website, so it'll basically always show a result that conservatives agree with. A poll like that is probably just going to be used by some third talking head or lobbying group with an agenda. Doesn't MSNBC do the exact same thing? Yes, but I agree with them, so that's different. Another big type of error is measurement error. You're not measuring what you think you're measuring. This one is the hardest. Polls can be majorly impacted by question wording and order. So if I'm like, do you think it's funny when Mimi roasts Cooper, you'd probably say yes. But if I'm like, do you disapprove of Mimi's attacks on Cooper, a member of the vulnerable LGBT community? You would agree that Mimi should be canceled. No one thinks that. Theoretically, these are asking the same thing, but wording and question order can completely skew the result. So today, I think we're safe from Literary Digest, but anyone with an agenda can release a poll just to get in some good talking points. And a journalist can always just say, Furries for America reports 9 out of 10 survey respondents agree the nation needs more furries. And that sentence is accurate. Furries for America did report that, so the journalist is reporting the truth. But their poll is bullshit, because most people don't even know what a furry is. And if you're just now finding out, you're welcome, and I am so sorry. When it comes to a sample population, you'll usually see either registered voters or likely voters. So polling registered voters is easier. You download a database of registered voters, you run a program to randomly select phone numbers, and you've got a statistically valid survey. It's, I mean, it's a little more complicated than that, and I totally could explain it if I wanted to, because I totally do remember all of my statistics, but I don't want to bore you, so we'll move on. 
polling likely voters gets you closer to electoral outcomes, but it can also be more subject to error. And that's because what is a likely voter? It's mostly based on who voted in the past, but voting patterns can change from election to election. You'll also see the response rate. So I was pretty surprised by this, but the Pew Research Center and the American Association for Public Opinion Research both say the response rate doesn't actually matter that much. That's because there isn't a major difference in who does and does not pick up the phone. Everybody hates getting cold called equally. In fact, sometimes a survey with a really high response rate can be a little bit suspicious because it means that it might mean that poll was, quote, in the field for too long. So like to drive up a poll's response rate, the pollsters would have had to contact the same people two or three times. But if you do the poll over too long a period of time, it's less accurate because you're comparing people's opinions in like different points of time. And there's also what's called a push poll. So if someone calls you and says, Cooper and Mimi claim their podcast is 15 minutes, but in fact, the average length is 17 minutes. Do you agree they cannot be trusted? That's what's called a push poll. It's somebody with an agenda and they're disguising it as a poll. And it's probably Michelle Obama, who's obviously threatened by the success of our podcast. Finally, there's the margin of error. So this one's intuitive, but there's one thing that we often forget, myself included. So the margin of error applies to each individual statistic. So let's say I'm running against Mimi. 50% say they'll support me, and 46% say they'll support Mimi, and the margin of error is 4%. That actually means my support is anywhere from 46 to 54%, and Mimi's is anywhere from 42 to 50%. So the lead needs to be wider than the margin of error to be certain. Let's be real, 80% of people would support me. Uh, what are we running for again? Anyway, so the takeaway here, if you're looking at a poll, look at who conducted it, and look at who they're polling. Sample sizes over 1,000 are all generally pretty good, and the risk of low response rates is over-exaggerated. And then always look at the margin of error. So, let's look at what happened in 2016. And we know the reality is this thing is Trump is maybe a one in seven shot, and I'm probably being generous. Yeah. Everybody he knows is voting for Trump, and it's all anecdotal info. Yeah. People coming up to him on handshake lines. My cousins in Connecticut are voting for you. Maybe I ought to go to Connecticut. What will Trump do election night when it turns out the bubble and all the good news doesn't happen? Lose his mind. That was Republican political strategist Mike Murphy on Showtime's documentary series The Circus. Side note, shout out to Showtime for licensing that under Creative Commons. Now, to be fair to Murphy, his prediction aged exactly as well as like 90% of all pundits' predictions. So let's all relive 2016, cry, and devolve into an SNL parody of Coastal Liberals. Can you believe a qualified woman ended up second to such an underqualified white man? No, I can't imagine what that's like. I know! We were all thinking the same thing. What the fuck just happened? The polls told us Hillary Clinton was going to win, right? Well... Polls actually weren't as inaccurate as we've all come to believe. So some of the blame lies with pollsters, but pollsters are mostly just nerdy statisticians. Statisticians is the actual word. So what was the real problem? The polls were not the problem this time. The problem was really this whole forecaster world who were coming out with, you know, Hillary's going to win by 98.2% or something, and it all just fed on itself. Our final poll had Clinton up nationally by one point. 
That was the director of polling at the Marist Institute for Public Opinion, a widely respected public poll. And look, there are fantastic, brilliant journalists out there. And like three of those journalists cover day-to-day politics. You guys, sometimes there's just not that much happening. And yet there is CNN just still talking. On the eve of the election, Real Clear Politics data, which averages major polls, predicted a 3% popular vote victory for Hillary Clinton. She ended up winning by just over 2%. It was the largest popular vote electoral college discrepancy since 1876, when Rutherford B. Hayes lost the popular vote by 2 million, but won the electoral college by one vote. So we're really good at measuring the popular vote. Comforting to know that the thing we've nailed absolutely does not matter. Yes, the popular vote does not matter. Because despite being the world's oldest democracy, everything in American political life comes down to whether or not some retirees in Florida liked a TV ad. Anyway, the polling issues really occurred at the state level. Most polls showed Hillary Clinton winning the Electoral College, but the majority of those polls were still within the margin of error. The election ultimately came down to 80,000 votes across a few key swing states that decided the Electoral College. That's less than 0.1% of all votes cast in 2016. It was a really close election. The American Association of Public Opinion Research, the leading industry body governing polling, released a long report on 2016, and they found a few key issues. First, the polls showed a much higher number of undecided voters than in past elections. So again, the problem here isn't with the polls, but it's how the polls were reported. Takeaway, political reporters are very stupid. Because it's accurate to say the polls showed Clinton leading, but they didn't really emphasize that a large number of voters in many swing states hadn't really decided yet. More people were undecided because people really did not like these candidates. Trump was a reality TV star with no political experience who spewed racist and sexist comments, and Hillary Clinton was a woman, and those two things are equally bad. Undecided voters disproportionately went for Trump, and many of them didn't decide until the week or day of the election. Why did they swing harder for Trump? Some call it the coming home effect. It's not the one where after one day of being at home, you devolve into your 15-year-old self eating microwave mac and cheese while your mom yells at you to clean up your room. It means that people like to make a show of being all independent-minded, but when it comes down to it, they vote for their party. So a lot of people who really liked that wax madman figurine Willard Mitt Romney said they were horrified at the idea of voting for an orange pussy grabber. But when they got into the election booth, they came home and cast their vote for the Republican. About 13% of voters in Wisconsin, Florida, and Pennsylvania decided on their presidential vote in the final week, according to the best available data. These voters broke for Trump by nearly 30 points in Wisconsin and by 17 points in Florida and Pennsylvania. There was also the most exhausting man in America, James Comey. A week before the election, Comey told everyone the FBI had reopened the investigation into Hillary's email server. Copies of previously disclosed emails were discovered on a backup server, and Comey later confirmed they uncovered no new information. But the letter started another major storm of negative media coverage, and the New York Times gave it the front page treatment. Polling expert Nate Silver said the Comey letter probably cost Clinton the election. Because of the higher numbers of undecided voters who made up their minds last minute and the razor-thin margins by which Trump won, Silver argues that Comey's letter was a major deciding factor, maybe not the deciding factor. Another big issue with polling was that the pollsters actually didn't properly wait for education levels, 
So basically, they overestimated highly educated voters as a share of the voting population. And as a result, these polls looked a little bit better for Hillary. Oh, there's that sampling thing again, right? <laughs> you actually listen when I talk. Um, another common idea is that Trump voters didn't reveal themselves to be Trump voters because they were afraid of being judged. But there's not a lot of evidence for this. Like, it's a nice idea, but the people that supported Trump seemed to feel just fine telling pollsters who they were voting for. This brings us back again to the difference between polling and forecasting. A poll is a snapshot of opinion amongst a surveyed population. They're not predictions. Forecasting is generally political reporters looking at polls, past trends, and then making quantitative and qualitative findings about what will happen moving forward. So what's the takeaway here? The polls in 2016 looked good for Hillary, but they actually always showed an extremely close race and had high levels of undecided voters. There were some design issues, especially with underestimating turnout amongst less educated voters, but the biggest issues were about the reporting and interpretation of the polls. So biggest takeaway, political reporters are very stupid. That brings us to today. Right now, the polls show a pretty strong lead for Biden. That means if the election were held today, it's most likely Biden would win. There are about 85 days until the election, though, and this is 2020. It's like dog years. One day in 2020 is minimum three months of a normal year, so a lot could change. I'm just waiting for a meteor to hit at this point. I played around on the Real Clear Politics site for a bit. So Real Clear Politics averages a lot of the most reputable polls, and so they're a pretty good site to look at. Uh, nationally, every poll has Biden in the lead, but a lot of these still fall narrowly within the margin of error. At the state level, Real Clear po I can't say this. Okay, Re I keep saying Real Clear. Real Clear Politics says Biden has 212 guaranteed votes, and Trump has 115 guaranteed Electoral College votes. As a reminder, you need 272 to win. Um, if they call all states based on the average of all available polls right now, though, so just forcing them to make a call, Biden wins 352 electoral college votes and Trump gets 182. Does that mean that that's what will happen and that Biden is going to win? If you answered yes, congratulations. CNN wants to hire you as a political reporter. One thing that scared me a bit is how much people are talking about correcting for 2016. But there's this thing about 2020, um... Coronavirus! Yeah, what's happening to turnout with COVID? Some states are making it easier to vote by mail, but others are making it harder to vote. So going back to the likely voter thing, I'm not an expert, but it seems like it would be very difficult to predict who's actually going to cast a ballot this year. So I don't fucking know what's going to happen, okay? I'm so traumatized by 2016, I will never trust anybody or anything ever again. I do know what really matters, though, is that we all vote, and we all uh, register to vote, and we will post a link on our Instagram, at theskepticast, that will include some resources on voting and how to phone bank for Biden. So to wrap up this whole thing, poll design matters. Look at who did the poll, and who they asked, and how many people they asked. The polls in 2016, they weren't perfect, but it was really the forecasts and the political reporting that were pretty bad. Right now, uh, Biden is leading, but 2020 is a bananas shit show, so who knows? As always, if you're enjoying it, subscribe and leave a, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you.